Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income. This is going to be such a great podcast today. We're talking about what a lot of you guys like to hear about, finding deals, making sure the right deals, and two, particularly on this one, broker relations. So getting that inventory pipeline going and how you work with brokers and uh, really getting momentum. There's so much that we're going to cover, technology, how the industry is changing. But before we jump into that with our awesome guest, John Lindsay, and our co-host, Connor. We're going to give a message from our sponsor real quick. So everybody, as you know, we are sponsored by Janus International and the No-Key product, which is great because me and Connor, the co- my co-host here, we just got back from one of our facilities with our new expansion and all-built-out new No-Key section. It's combining two sides which are, we ran power to some of the buildings, but some of the other buildings we didn't have power to. And Noki has a great solution where we just add it on. And Noki, let me, before I get into this real quick, is a keyless entry system. So we're talking, you can do everything. A tenant can come onto my site. They can rent a unit. They could even do it from their phone. Then that gives them access through the app to our gates to our units and they can come in, they can pay online, they can rent online, they can access online and they can leave online. They don't even have to work with a manager. manager. Now we have our managers there, but the thing about this is it's an amazing value add play. So like our expansion that I'm telling you about that we just walked in, so we're actually adding premium for these types of units. And it created more of a market for us to get. I talk about this a lot at one of our facilities with Noki. 20% of our customers came directly using the uh, keyless entry system. They were out of state. They weren't even there. And we were the only one in the market that had that. So we were the only option for them. That's a 20% increase in our market that we had access to that others didn't. So anyways, it's a great product. Go to the show notes, check it out. We have their links and everything. And with that, we're moving on to our podcast and we'd like to welcome John Lindsay. Welcome, man. Hey guys, how we doing? Doing awesome, man. How it's are doing you? Doing great. I'm good, surviving and advancing through COVID nineteen. That's that's all you can ask for that these days. Is all we can, all can ask for at this that's point in time. All you really want. You know, before we dive into this, you have a wonderful history in self storage, starting a long time ago. So why don't you give people background how you got into this crazy business and yep. what you do? So very high level. My dad started building storage in 1969. Uh, built over 100 properties throughout the U.S. I grew up running machinery and pouring concrete with him. And so I was coming through college. I said, Dad, I love storage. I don't want to lay slab anymore, though. Um, so in 2012, I launched Lindsay Self Storage Group. Uh, we buy, build, and broker storage facilities throughout the U.S., Europe, and Asia. So we've done deals everywhere from Seattle, Washington, 
to Groningen in the Netherlands, uh, to our own backyard here in Durham, North Carolina. So uh, we have rich history in storage. Again, done everything from pour and slab to, to brokering transactions on the M&A side. So um, can really help you guys with a, a wide range of product here today. And you own and manage as well, correct? Correct. correct. My brother and I own eight stores here in the Southeast. Awesome. Awesome. And you're running them all. And you, you know, it's interesting because me and John have been friends for a long time. And uh, we're also, John is very, I guess you'd say, involved in the industry and helping the industry move forward. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people have heard you speak, just amazing content on where this industry is going. So, you know, there's a few topics I want to talk about, but you're so involved. I'd like to give you, get your feedback on the pulse in the market. So where do you think the market is? What's going on, right? What are you hearing? I know so many people want to know that right now. Like what? So are you it's, a, it's a loaded, loaded question, it AJ. Is. It is. I don't have a crystal ball. Um, <laughs> personally, I've been very surprised at the amount of activity and transactional volume we've been seeing through COVID. The biggest buyers in the industry are plowing right through it. They can absorb some of the debt changes they need to see in order to make their lenders comfortable in order to close. The CMBS market obviously imploded when the Fed cut the rates. So uh, no CMBS debt is going out or even being really reviewed until May 1st. I think the most interesting thing to watch is going to see what happens, obviously, as the SBA market unfolds and where that goes. But we're still closing deals, listing deals, doing call for offers. I mean, it's business as usual, um, you know, given what's happening. As far as an ownership standpoint is concerned, we've seen about a 5 to 8% uptick in accounts receivables not only across our portfolio, but what I've heard from across the country from owners for the month of March. Um, personally, I would expect that to double in the month of April, especially with high cash and check paying facilities. Um, but other than that, I mean, storage is, you know, does historically really well in a recessionary time. And although this is fairly unique, I mean, it's standing true to, to its name, given what we're seeing in retail and hotels and big box. I mean, it's it's doing what it's supposed to do. Um, and I feel very bullish on where we're going on the economy as a whole. So I think storage has a good direction under it. Uh, if people can just ride the storm out for the next, you know, four to 12 weeks, let's call it. You know, over the last, I feel like six months before this whole COVID-19 started. So let's take it back eight or nine months. And even the last year, the only talk that everybody had was oversupply. It was like people didn't even care about a recession, right? It was, what is the danger to self-storage? It was oversupply. I mean, that's all you talked about. At conferences, it was just constant. Do you think, have you seen in this supply, uh, is that, is the financing shutting off? Do you hear people saying, hey, I'm walking away from projects? What is what is the feel on the market for new supply? So inventory coming construction up? is an essential business in a lot of the states that we do work in. Construction is moving forward. Um, I think a lot of people who were not at shovel position in the ground are really second guessing which I think is a smart time. Um, AJ, as you and I have discussed, I think starting in 2017, probably, we were long overdue for that next lull in the recession and neither of us could have predicted it would come from COVID, but here it is. Um, so I think it's putting pause to a lot of people's projects, which I, I don't wish upon anyone, but I think from an industry standpoint as a whole, it's good to see that supply pipeline slow down a bit so we can actually see that, that catch up in the demand for the market and hopefully bring us back to some type of norm um, we've been riding a you know eight-year wave that is bound to break at some point. So I, I think I don't like how we've gotten there, but I think all in all for the industry long term, it will be a good shakeout for for what is to come. Okay, yeah, I it's so funny because on this you know, we've talked about this before. 
a recession is, is healthy. It's part of it. We don't like them. It messes up plans, things like that, but it's a healthy, normal part. This is nothing anybody would have been, though, is not healthy, is not good. We don't like it. It's, you know, terrifying. Uh, but as far as the inventory uh, goes coming on the market to slow down, I, I agree. I think that's totally good. It's okay for us to all take a pause and say, whoa, we need to rethink uh, fill-up rates. We need to reanalyze markets and get data in. Um, because one of the, the advantages of self-storage, as you know, is the market information or the market is fragmented, right? But that too can mean the industry is fragmented. So in this situation now where somebody may be looking at getting in the industry and saying, I'm trying to get new facilities. I'm trying to find deals. I've been worried about oversupply. Now I have COVID-19. What would your suggestion be? Like if you're trying to buy new facilities and try to come on, what are you telling people right now? What are those discussions? So my, my suggestion would be, Absolutely, you know, have some good debt lined up behind you to begin with before you go down this rabbit hole. That's going to be a big thing that sellers are going to want to see is like, hey, do you actually have backing coming into this transactional side? Um, take advantage of lower leverage. I mean, a lot of my clients who have crushed it through this, you know, they're 50% loan to value, 60% loan to value with, you know, CMBS debt or non-recourse debt in some capacity. That's what helps you sleep at night because AJ's we've talked about before storage is a wealth building tool. It is a generational tool for building wealth and transferring it long-term. It's not your get rich quick overnight, 10 X in a year. So why treat it like that? So take advantage of that lower leverage, safer, you know, non-recourse debt, utilize people in the industry, whether it's brokers, third-party studies, you know, really maybe get two or three feasibility studies before you buy or build something now. Really lean on industry experts in order to get the most data that you can. Spend the, you know, 10 to 20 grand up front with a couple of feasibilities. It's better than making a $10 million mistake down the road on a hunch. Yeah, that's such good advice. Such good advice for sure. Yeah, a little spent in the short term saves you huge in the long term. Exactly, exactly. Just touching on picking up facilities uh, right now, are you seeing a lot of owners, operators getting nervous and wanting to sell? Do you see a lot of people just wanting to- It's it's really funny because I am not funny, interesting. I expected there to be more sellers kind of in a, um, a panicked sales state of some capacity because they've had to cover losses in other businesses. I have a ton of clients that are in hotels and restaurants and retail, and the calls really haven't come from them. A lot of the calls at this point have come from people who are looking to get liquid and be opportunistic in the stock market because people are bullish on the direction that it will come back from after COVID. Um, I've gotten a handful of calls about that. Um, others have been sellers who say, you know what, this has kind of um, not rattled my foundation, but maybe kind of really made me realize what could happen over the next few years and put retirement into perspective. So a couple of calls like that saying, hey, as this shakes out, you know, maybe I want to look at selling again. Um, I think we won't really see the ramifications of some of those people in a tight spot for another you know, 30, 60, 90 days. It's not this instantaneous snap too. Um, I know there are a couple lenders who are not bending on certain loan terms right now and they've sent takeover letters for projects. Um, and so I think we're going to start to see that more heavily here over the next, like I said, one to three months. And how long do you, is the expectations of the market, obviously nobody knows, but is the expectations in the market that this is going to, that we're going to see a tight recovery and it's going to recover quickly? Or are you seeing a change? Are people starting to say, you know what? This may go on longer than we were thinking. 
So I think obviously this will change how Americans act forever. I mean, just, you know, 9-11, look at flying. It has impacted, you know, it's 20 years later now. Um, and same thing with COVID. I think it'll, it'll change how people interact with one another. Um, but I think on the whole, the demand for storage will always be there. Again, through this, people are going to move for jobs. They're going to move for families, new opportunities. They had to sell their house. They rent instead of own. I mean, it, it's, you know, like any other recessionary period, there's demand for storage. Um, and then I think, as I've always said, the millennial generation, there's huge demand as we move forward. And that's a whole nother, you know, bag of apples there. But I still think that uh, on a whole, all the big P firms are very bullish on storage, streets bullish on storage, everyone sees, you know, positive trend coming back. And everyone that I've talked to on a high level expects a fairly quick snapback from the economy, maybe not the, the V that has been predicted on TV. But I mean, again, up until COVID, things were going great in the States. There was no other really, you know, evident reason for this to happen. You know, there may be some looming concerns of a recessionary window, but not to this degree where we've hit a peak, you know, week-long unemployment rate. You talk about, you know, as people are trying to be flexible in this and we're trying to change and you need to be, I love this advice where you need to get the right information. You need to work with the right people. That's just exactly what you should be doing. I think a worry that a lot of people have is self-storage is very niche. And I do not believe that all advice is created equally. So when someone is trying to uh, get started in the industry, and especially when they're looking at brokers, because if they're relying on brokers to underwrite deals, where do you go? Like, how do you know which brokers are, you know, giving it to you straight? I know that there's a lot of people that have moved into this industry and that we've worked with where I've gotten packages back from a brokerage firm and their underwriting is just not even right. I mean, it's it's wrong. The numbers are actually wrong. And well, I think like every other vendor in this, you know, eight year upswing we've seen, there's just been a lot of a lot of infill. People have been coming in, whether it's in tech or brokerage or development. I mean, we've just seen an overflow of new vendors. Um I would say to anyone, look at who's been around through a recession, who's been in the game for a while. Um, you know, I always tell people, you know, we've built, we own, we understand what it's like to be on the other side of that table. So when I send you a package, I'm filling in real expenses, real property tax adjustments, real third-party management fees, because me giving you a package full of crap doesn't make you want to buy the facility. And it doesn't help my client either on the sell side. So I'm trying to provide the best possible scenario I can to make it as seamless for you as a buyer. And I think, again, having been on the other side of the table, I understand what you're looking for and what to expect out of that. And that's why we're able to create such a seamless process through what we do. Walk me through when you're looking at a, pro uh, a project, either one for, you know, like that you or your clients or, you know, that you want to own. Um, what are you looking for? What are the opportunities what is a good quality asset and what are the red flags that you would tell people, Hey, these are the things you need to be looking out for. Yep. So, I mean, I, I'm big believer, you know, AJ, we've talked about this. We, we call it putting lipstick on the pig to down here in the South. Um, you know, CapEx, whether it's lighting, landscaping, redoing the office, branding roofs, you know, owners just over a period of 10 to 30 years, uh, not intentionally, but just kind of let these things go. If you see it every day, you don't, you don't notice it. It's not as evident. You also give a lot, give away a lot of friends and family units. You don't, you know, raise their rents over time to even come up to your street rates, let alone what is an appropriate rate to be charging them in the first place. So minimizing those vacancy gaps is one of the biggest things. In addition to the capex, um, you look at the online exposure again. How do they play in regards to the rest of their competitors in the market? You know, I love nothing more than when a seller calls me and he's like, "Hey, 
we've been here 30 years. We don't have a website. We're 100% full, and I've never raised rates because that is going to be the best project to sell in the open market because <laughs> yes. every buyer just says, wait a minute, never raise rates. I can create a whole new online presence. I'm under all of my competitors, and he's already got a full tenant basis. Oh, and there's room for expansion? Great. When do we go under contract? That's what these buyers want to see, and it's, and it's a win-win for everybody then. Yeah, that's awesome. And you know, when you're going out to the market, what are those sellers looking for? Is there something that's more important to them? Is it like, listen, I just want a quick close, or is it a highest price? I mean, what do you typically see? So it's a wide range, you know, because people have different, you know, reasons for selling across the board. I have some clients, you know, they would like to sell, they don't need to sell for any fiscal reason other than they think it's an opportune time. Um, other sellers, this is their entire retirement. I work with a lot of owners in the, you know, I call it the two to 10 range, two to $10 million facilities. They've owned it for 20 to 30 years. This is their entire retirement goose egg. So the price is extremely important to them. Um, but I think more than anything is just being able to, to deliver put down some serious earnest money, create a reasonable closing time frame window and expedite that due diligence process as quickly as you can. No one likes wasted time on either side, you know, show up ready to play, ready to go. And that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to accelerate that process in the most seamless way for everybody involved. And so at the end of the day, I just want a quick close that makes everyone happy across the board when we can have a true win-win-win scenario. Yeah, that's awesome. I want to throw a question out here for, for both AJ and John. When you guys, so this is after, let's say somebody's structuring their deal. I know we're talking about recessions and market corrections. Or what are some of the just bullet points, if you guys have any, for somebody as far as structuring their deal to account for these downturns and to protect themselves and ensure that they're not stretching themselves too thin for times like this and get in trouble later on down so, the road? Uh, on my side, I would absolutely recommend if you're looking for that true recessionary, tuck it away, perfect deal structure, super low leverage debt. Stay away from the 85, 15, 90, 10 kind of deals. Put down 30 plus percent equity. You know, your, your multiple is not going to be as great when you exit, but you can sleep at night. Um, if you can get non-recourse debt, get it. Um, I mean, you will put your head down that pillow every night and not have a single issue. Um, we are big fans of it. Again, storage for us is a generational wealth tool. Um, so again, there's no reason to leverage it out to the teeth and worry about if a 5% downtick in tenants is going to crush my entire business. And I'm going to have to get a call from the bank the next day about you know a $10 million note I have coming due. Um, so it depends what you're looking to get out of it. But again, if you're looking for a safe and sound vehicle, low leverage, non-recourse. Yeah, I uh, so I, I think there's really two focus areas. I, I heard a quote once that said, you know, the only thing that kills real estate is debt. And uh, I, I, I love that idea, once again, that is, you know, debt's really what takes away from real estate or gives their danger. danger. I think that on the operation side with storage is I look for two things. I first of all look at a market that has staying power. And what I mean is, I, I, the only thing besides debt that kills storage is self-storage. And I've just found that to be true, is that we are our own worst enemies. And so I just look at a saturation point where, you know, the one of the greatest things about self-storage is that it's simplicity. It is a very simple product to understand. Now, though its simplicity also has another side point, is there's a very simple supply and demand curve. Now, although every market is different, after a certain point, it just stops. There's just inventory lying on the market. And so understanding that saturation point 
in every single market and making sure you're not getting into a market that has bunch more inventory coming on and is going to just give you vacancies for years to come in that market. I think that's probably the next best thing is, you know, in a tight market, you're going to remain very, very high occupied. You're going to have room for rate growth and uh, revenue growth. And as long as you have low debt and you don't have a mass infill of new product, your occupancy will be high, your margins will be great, and you can get an increase in revenue year over year. When you are looking, speaking of that, markets, how are you analyzing markets? Like what makes a good market? One of the biggest things that I always look for is to make sure it's not a single industry market. So for instance, if that one industry pulls out, that is the entire town and it's gone. Um, we've seen that you know, over the years, like for instance, when big tobacco pulled out of North Carolina in the late 80s, there were towns in Eastern North Carolina that completely dried up. They just don't really exist anymore. Now, a lot of them have rebounded, like Greenville, North Carolina, for instance, they've got university, they've got hospital, they've got, you know, healthcare, biotech, startups, you know, multiple facets. So if one leaves for whatever reason, the whole town does not just vanish. Um, Raleigh-Durham, where I live, I mean, we've got Duke, UNC, Pfizer, GlaxoSmithKline. I mean, some of the largest institutions in the world are all based here. So again, if one industry goes away, I'm not concerned about that rocking our foundation. Um, you know, we have high population growth, Coupled with those businesses and hospitals and universities, we have a lot of demand drivers for, for people continuing to come here for years to, to come. And although Raleigh-Durham, we've seen like a huge oversupply in certain pockets, we're also seeing extremely high population growth. So, you know, we may have a one to two year saturation issue, but on the whole, you know, markets such as this, which are reflective of certain pockets of Nashville and Tampa and Miami, you know, we're going to do just fine in the long run. It's just making sure, like you said, AJ, that you're not building in those pockets where you're backing yourself into a corner for a year or two when you're looking for a five-year exit. So it, it's really assessing those demand drivers, making sure you're in a market that has just a very promising future ahead of it, um, one where you can tie up good debt, and one where you can make sure that you've got room to run with your facility. On the, you, And you talk, talk about tying up good debt. What are you seeing on the bank side? How sensitive are they to the markets? So when you're talking to a bank about doing a self-storage project, are there markets that they're like, listen, we stay out of? I mean, how much are they underwriting? So I think they're, they're really more concerned on who the borrower is. Um, for instance, I mean, like we tied up CMBS debt with Morgan Stanley in Rockingham, North Carolina, which if you guys even know where that is, it's where the, all, the old Charlotte Motor Speedway used to be known as The Rock in Rockingham, North Carolina. It's a small town of less than 50,000 people, um, they went there because of borrower strength. We've done a lot of business with them over the years. Therefore, they were interested in going with us because they knew that we have an understanding of our product and there's a reason that we're going for that project. So on the whole, you know, lenders are more shaky on you know, markets they're not familiar with, but if they have strong borrower with track record, I think that's the thing they're, they're most interested in. Obviously, if you're new to the game, it helps to have either a very strong balance sheet or a strong partner, someone with industry experience, maybe do some type of JV relationship. Um, you can really create a strong team, couple that with a strong market, and you're going to have lenders lined about the door to want to do your project. And this brings up a really good point. I feel like a lot of people that are first timers, right? They're coming into this game. They're, let's say they're in other real estate asset classes, which we see a lot of, right? A lot of people saying, hey, I want to I want to shift over and I want to move over. It tends to be a chicken and egg thing. Like, I feel like I need experience or I want to understand this better. 
but I need to get a new project before I get that experience. So what, you know, what advice would you give to somebody that's saying, listen, I, I want to get into this industry in a big way. I want to be a multi-facility owner. I want to grow a portfolio. Like, how do you get started? How do you break into this industry? So I'd say first and foremost, AJ, as you well know, this is the most open and friendly industry of all time. Like even guys who directly compete with stores I'm involved, we're, we're best friends. We're, we're drinking buddies. We go on trips together. We travel together. I mean, it, it's something very unique to the storage industry. There's only you know a couple thousand owner operators that are involved in our industry. We see each other multiple times a year. And so I think if you want to get involved, reach out. Ask someone for, for some guidance. There's probably opportunities to create some unique structures together. Um, when it comes to actually buying, I would say absolutely, again, hire the best, whether it's brokers, people do feasibility studies for you, the right third-party management firm, like take advantage of the tools that are provided through this industry. You know, they're here to guide you because again, if you're successful and you're going to want to buy more storage, you're going to come back to these people again. So they're not just fly by night to sell you a store and be on your way. They want to create a legacy because again, it's a tight industry. And you know, my family's been in it for 50 years now, and I plan on being here for another 50 years. And so we want to see people thrive in this do well, just like we've been able to see over the time that I've been involved. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with that more. It's an in- interesting industry that way. Um, I had a call with a guy literally this morning who was looking at doing a project right down the road from uh, another project that we have. And it was just, hey, you know, what's the best way? How should we do this? And two, hey, do you want to do you want to team up on this? Like, I mean, I, I've never been in an industry and we own other businesses and things outside where you call up your competitors and ask for a favor or you ask for, you know, help on something. And two, they jump at the opportunity. Um, no, you're absolutely right. This is probably the best thing about the industry is people are so open and willing to help. And, you know, especially at some of these, uh, if, if you go to the conferences, you know, that's, as you know, ISS, SSA, there's so much information. They put out such good prod, uh, products. I And I think because of the openness, maybe I'm wrong, but you can really go straight to the top to you know, a lot of the people in the yeah. industry. Like I was shocked. Like when I, when I went to my first conferences, I was you know, 22 years old, just starting my company. And you're meeting CEOs of publicly traded storage companies that you know worth billions of dollars. I mean, you, you don't get that. Like if you go to a tech conference, there's 50,000 people walking around good luck meeting the CEO of IBM. He's definitely not, not there to happen. begin with. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's a very easy industry to get involved with, um, not only from an ownership standpoint, but like from an industry standpoint as well. I mean, I was on the national SSA board at 25 years old, I think. And, and to be able to get ingrained at such an age, you know, everyone who's in this business really cares about the future of it. Again, a lot of them are second generation or creating that second generation. Um, and it's really just like one big family and yeah. everyone wants to, to see it grow like that. Yeah, definitely. Touching on um, people just starting out, breaking into the industry, you mentioned operations management, so a third-party management company. Would you recommend that people utilize third-party management or you know, get in, get their feet wet, really learn about the industry, learn about self-storage and manage it themselves? What would you recommend out of the gate? So it, it depends if, like, for instance, they're going to come in with a, an, an existing operating partner you know, obviously lean on them. They're the industry expert. Maybe they have in-house, maybe they have a preferred vendor, you know, that's fine. But I'd say if someone was blindly buying a facility with no industry partners coming in out of the blue, absolutely 1000% hire third-party management. You know, I'll be the first to tell you, I, I don't know the first thing about selling a residential home. 
I hire people to help me do that when I buy or sell my houses. Same thing when you're getting into storage, hire a storage broker to help you buy and find a site. Hire the best management companies to ensure the success of your you know, multi-million dollar investment you just made. You know, you can learn about it over the years, but coming in, it, it is a very simple business on the outside. There are a lot of intricacies, though, that you just have no idea about until you see it firsthand. So I always, always, always recommend third-party management or some in-house you know, relationship if you have that with a JV partner. Um, I, I would not recommend taking on a facility in any other capacity. That's great advice. And two, I think that that makes it easier for somebody looking at getting in where I know lots of times when you're trying to get into something or you want to start something new, it can seem overwhelming. I think that that's, you know, knowing that you have that support, particularly getting started, it makes you more likely to take action, to actually do it because you don't feel alone in it. You feel confident in your decisions because when you're starting out, you don't know what you don't know. I think that's just awesome advice. Boy, and all the management companies are fantastic. I mean, again, a lot of them are multi-generational companies. They've built, they've bought, they've owned, they get it. They want you to be successful so that, you know, they can continue to grow their businesses as well. And they are so open and over pouring with information and help and tutorials. And, and I don't know, they've just been the best value add for new buyers coming in. And, and I hope people really do continue to utilize the services they offer. Now we, we talk a lot about people coming in and, you know, I, you've spoken a lot about the new generation and how do you feel that this, this new generation of millennials that are obviously taken over, which we all are sitting here. So it's not like, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> um, but, you know, how, how do you feel that this is changing? Not only the landscape of people wanting to get into the industry and why they want to get into the industry, um, because I feel like millennials like, you know, sharp, shiny, sexy things and Storage doesn't tend to be one of them, um, but they tend to utilize storage a lot. And do you feel that that's going to go away? How do you feel that this shift from the baby boomers will either help or hurt storage? So I think storage is going to crush it with the millennial generation. Um, I did a presentation on this at the National Vegas show back in 2016, I believe, with Natalie Bragg. And we talked a lot about um, how the millennial generation is on a four-year lag compared to prior generations for major life decisions. So that's buying your first house, getting married, having kids. So we're renting for longer. We're going back for you know multiple degrees in school, whether it's master's or doctorate. We're traveling longer. We average five jobs before the age of 25. I mean, compared to the, the boomers, our parents, they've had one job for 30 years probably. Um, so, I mean, all these uncertain shifts are driving further demand for storage. And then on top of that, we're going to get our boomer parents goods and we feel bad about throwing it away. So we're going to put it in storage. So, I mean, I think we're going to continue to see this demand driven through our generation. And it's funny because it's non-materialistic as we like to come off. Millennials love stuff. They, they absolutely love yeah. They love it, man. Whether it's the new Nikon camera and the $7 coffee and the Tom shoes, they got 10 pairs. I mean, we love stuff. So people can say whatever they want. But I see the drivers coming out of millennials being extremely good for self-storage. You know, it, it's funny, too, because the economics against millennials very much favor storage. The rising increase in cost of uh, land, building, uh, more of wage stagnation than we've seen in the past, things like that. That boats really well for storage. I mean, millennials aren't going to get their their homes. You know, we're the first generation that is actually more downsized than the previous. Like boomers, homes were bigger. 
They were buying them earlier. Families, things like that. Whereas right now, you can't buy you know an acre and just put stuff out on your lawn and build a shed whenever you want on the side of your house. Cities don't let you do those things. You know that kind of stuff is going away, if not gone, in most parts of the country. Well, and I saw an interesting stat the other day that the average home size in America has decreased year over year since 2015. We're seeing this big push for millennials to be you know more downtown. We like walking to work and walking to coffee shops and gyms. We're living in smaller spaces all in all, and we're still consuming. We're consuming left and right every day, and we need to put it somewhere. So again, I think we're going to continue to see that that storage boom grow through our generation, uh, and I think people will be very surprised. There's a lot of you know, uh, rumors about our generation and how bad we are from the, the older groups. But uh, again, I see a lot of promise out of us moving forward. And what are they going to change in the industry? The big thing that millennials are changing, and AJ, we've really seen it over the past few years, is the rise in, in valet storage and the on-demand. You know, look at, I mean, my generation specifically, we've grown up with with Uber and, you know, Uber Eats and Postmates and all this stuff. I mean, everything is on-demand, on-the-minute. And so being able to have storage bins dropped in my door and put in a facility somewhere, um, a lot of kids my age don't have cars. They need someone to come move their goods for them. Um, so I think we're going to see that continue to grow, um, and that'll be a really interesting facet as we move forward. Do you think that will take away or add to the industry? I think it will add if done in the right capacity. Um, there are certain groups that have tried to make healthy partnerships over the years, which I think has been a great step. Um, they, some companies have evolved from that into buying very large storage portfolios, which I thought was an interesting step. Um, but I think on the whole, it will overall increase the demand for storage space. Um, people will either do it themselves or partner with existing operators. But on the whole, there's still this large demand for storage. It's just who will shake out at the end of the day. Will the Valley companies get bought out by storage operators? Will there be partnerships or vice versa down the road? Yeah, that, it, that has been an interesting change and trend that has gone. And I feel like, you know, a lot of the ways that traditional storage has come in to, I guess, combat that is like our sponsor with the no key where it's like, well, you can still rent off your phone, but now you have 24 hour access. Um, And, you know, we see how the mobile phone, which, you know, I feel like smartphones are just synonymous with millennials, right? I mean, it's, those are two of the ones. Although every, right here, Right here, we all, we're all literally holding it. Uh, but, you know, with that, as we say, though, we all know that boomers use fa- uh, Facebook more consecutively than millennials do. And they're just as addicted, whether they want to admit it or not. But it's the infrastructure and the connectivity of how mobile phones work and interact with, you know, us is a way that businesses have to adapt to. And I do feel that storage, the storage industry has been slow to adapt to that change in the way they consume. I could not agree with you more, AJ. I, so I'm, I'm writing a book right now about our experience in storage and, and where it's evolved over the past really decade of, of me being involved. And one of the things I comment about, I remember not only when I first got in the business, but even a couple of years ago, I walk in and they've got a whole session on like creating a Facebook page. And I'm kind of just like, you could ask any 12 year old to come do this for you because yeah. at the end of the day, I mean, for our, our millennial and then the Gen Z generation, it is so innate. And I'm like, you know, other businesses have been on this 20 years ago when Facebook really started to pop up. And so when we're just having these conversations now in 2017, storage is just a little slow to trot on some of these new tech advances. Well, they're, um, they're, yeah, they're giving presentations on Facebook and you're like, what's Facebook? I'm on Snapchat. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like Facebook's Instagram gone. Now. Yeah. We're, we're TikToking now. Okay. Exactly. Get, get with the program. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're, you're 15 years behind here. Yeah. Ask you again, ask your 12 year old what's uh, cool these days. Yeah. And they will, they'll say, what's Facebook? Exactly. Well, let's, and you know, it's interesting too, because a lot of people don't understand how the consumption of these activities actually dictate the purchasing uh, uh, process of individuals because they do. Um, whereas it used to be roads used to be the stream. You'd count traffic. You'd look at signs. You'd look at the moment, the movement of where people are going to dictate. It's the exact same thing, just on an online platform. Where are people going? How are they consuming and what signs are they seeing? Well, where I think it's, it's funny you say that AJ because in 2016, I think it was mobile searches for self-storage finally surpassed desktop searches. In 2016, think about how long that took. It was like 51% mobile. And I'm like, that's the first year that mobile searches finally surpassed a desktop search for storage. So it shows since then, where are your marketing dollars going? Where are you spending that effort? Because most of it is done from here. That's where I want to be able to find my storage unit. And guess what? Anyone under the age of 50 is using one of those phones to find out where they're going this day and age. Absolutely. They don't know how to without it. Correct. I can't can't go anywhere without it. Well, too, another thing that people don't understand is that a lot of the um, consuming that's going on from baby boomers is done also via through millennials. So they're helping their parents. They're making decisions, right? It's, you know, mom's got her two boys coming out to move her. Well, they're deciding where it's going. They're the one getting their stuff, mom's stuff. She's not headed out there. You know, it's her boys. And so understanding the social implications of how people consume, buy, and move is something that I think some storage facility operators have grabbed a hold to and had significant gain over others because they're playing. It's like we're playing the same game. I just have a different board that you don't have access to. Or that you've chosen so not to continue. Because you've chosen not to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, again, the tools are out there and yeah. people are very willing to help. It's kind of like the ostrich picking your head out of the sand, though. You know, like get up and take a look around and see who's killing it right now and ask them why they are. I mean, it, again, it's a very open business. And AJ, I love seeing like, like y'all site in Reno that has the Noki system. Absolutely love seeing it crush it. I mean, how well did you guys do, Lisey, up in the first year? I mean, oh, we were at 85% in months. I mean, so no brain. So why are people not calling to get their Nokis right now? Like, that's a no brainer for me. Like, it is a lot because of that type of product and services you're offering. You're the new shiny objects in town. People want that. You know, it's interesting because this change in activity and as far as like cell phones go, it's part of the infrastructure and how our industry is operating, not just from like a marketing standpoint, but an access standpoint. And if we look at how moving companies are interacting and we're talking about the change in how individuals are transferring goods, consuming goods, and now you have Amazon where, okay, maybe they're sending these now directly to storage facilities. There's just so much that is going on in this landscape that if you're not able to participate in this moving online change, you can really get left behind. And, uh, you know, the operators that, you know, maybe they say, listen, and this is out of my wheelhouse. I think John made the perfect, you know, it said the perfect thing is there's people out there that this is totally within their wheelhouse and you can rely upon them. You know, I think store local is one of the big thing reasons that, you know, me and John are founding members of, and 
the reason, one of the major reasons people joined Store Local was because of that technology and understanding better where to get tools and resources to not get left behind. So you, there's lots of people out there that are willing to help, and you can do, and you can attach on and go on to your business without being overwhelmed and saying, "Oh, I can't, I can't play this game," because that's just not true. Yep, and I think we're going to continue to see that evolve really here over the next few years, AJ. Again, as as storage continues to play catch up, you know, compared to other industries, we're finally seeing this this lagging tech wave kicking in. Um, I think it's going to be a really interesting few years too, as people start to try and lean out their operations to be competitive in the in the landscape. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think something really important too is we, we talk a lot about this on the podcast to the, the whole underlying concept that we're talking here is is looking at storage like a business, you know, because I, I think it's it's important to note that you need to be looking at self storage as a business and not as this passive cash cow that I mean. Every single person I talk to about self-storage that that is, quote unquote, thought about getting into it, it's just, that's the first thing they say is, those are cash cows. I've thought about getting into those just because, I mean, you can essentially just buy it and leave it and it just makes you all this money and it's so passive and amazing. And it's like, and it's just, I mean, you can't. Well, it it was that, you know, when when my dad was building in the seventies, you could, you could do that. You could just build (laughs) on any corner and and it would do well and it was amazing and you know, those times are are long gone. I mean, the number of people that I hear trying to get into the industry and and I, AJ, you probably heard this too. They're like, Oh, I'm going to land bank it with storage. And then we're going to, you know, move forward. And I'm just like, that was 30 years ago. Like you can't do that anymore. There's no more land banking with self storage, like the cost of entry operations, getting into it and everything. You're right. And that was a huge play by a lot of people. A lot of people were buying outside land and they were putting self storage on it just to wait and then they ended up never getting rid of the self-storage. They're so like, this is way more profitable. But Exactly. So, I mean, it's been interesting how the business mindset has evolved around storage. And again, I think we'll continue to do so. But really, in the past few years, it's become finally this like class A, like institutionally recognized product for the first time, which is really cool because it's, I think it's deserved it for a while. But I think we really showed our true colors through the last recession and I think we will on a whole through this whole COVID fiasco as well. I mean, storage will do very well when a lot of other businesses are not. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. In fact, we've been talking about a lot. And, you know, is there going to be a wave of people saying, okay, listen, I, I, you know, I had this on the back burner thinking about getting in the storage. The, this is the straw that broke camel's back. Like, we're moving in. We're, we're, you know, we're doing this. Hotels have just been demolished. Retail has been demolished. And it's like, in a 10-year period of time, all of these asset classes that everybody said, these are the best real estate asset classes in the world, and nobody cares about that dumb little storage project over there, all of a sudden are failing them, and the storage project is just plowing through, making tons of money and you know being really successful, and they're all looking to the side saying, wait, hold on here. What's this guy? You know, How's this guy doing? I'm losing my business because both of these recessions – have been catastrophic for those two industries, hotel and retail in general. Um, and a lot of people, you know, including me, wonder, how's retail going to recover from this? They were just on their knees to begin with because of Amazon and different buying. And this, you know, COVID-19 cut foot traffic, which storage, we don't need necessarily foot tra- traffic to survive. All of a sudden, retail, if you don't got 50, 80 people coming in a day, you're in trouble. I mean, like you're in big trouble and lots of them you need way more people than that to even make it work and that just doesn't exist these days 
Well, and, and AJ, I think you, 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 know, you kind of harped on it earlier. Storage may not be sexy. It's not some big, tall building with my name on the side, but the returns are very sexy. And I think that is something that a lot of investors are starting to realize. They may not have the main and main you know, retail or hotel or whatever, but at the end of the day, people get into real estate to make money and preserve wealth over years. And storage is the best way to do that. And I think, again, like you said, these two windows that we've seen in the past decade are reflecting that very heavily right now. Dude, I love it. That's just awesome. Um, before we let you go here, I know uh, uh, you've got it booked today. Please tell everybody where they can find you, get a hold of you, learn from you, anything else like that. You're just such a wonderful resource yep. to the industry. Well, thank you, AJ. You can find us on lindsayselfstoragegroup.com. Uh, you can email me directly, john at lindsayselfstoragegroup.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, self-storage group. Um, you can WhatsApp, text, FaceTime, or call me on my cell phone at any time. And that number is 919-381-7799. Uh, again, we do work throughout the U.S., Europe, and Asia. So let us know how we can help you. We'd love to be a resource. And we'll put that all in the show notes, and we will have John on again, you guys. John, thank you so much for doing this. We appreciate it. Appreciate your time, man. Hey, thanks Thanks for hosting, and best of luck through COVID. Hopefully, we can get the economy rolling again soon. You yes, too. Yes, hopefully. Sounds <laughs> thanks good, so much, man. man. Have a good one. Thanks, guys.